Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. What you heard there was a Noongar welcome that was taken from the unveiling of the Nikki Wimmar statue that happened over the weekend at Perth Stadium. And we will be talking about that. We've got some exclusive um, audio from that amazing event and celebration, which we're going to bring to you later in the show. It is, of course, NAIDOC week, and we should recognise that NAIDOC week is the National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observation Committee. And we know that this podcast goes to all the different corners of the globe. So we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where you're listening today. I have posted some interesting things about NAIDOC Week written by Isabella Higgins, who is the Indigenous Affairs Correspondent for the ABC. She is a Torres Strait Islander woman. And um, I hope that you'll go to our Facebook or our Instagram to read her account of what it's like growing up black in Australia. I am your captain, Emma Race, and I am so honoured to be in the studio today with some football-loving lady friends. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Kate Sear. Hi, I'm Sabrina Frederick. <laughs> and hi, I'm Melissa Hickey. Woo-hoo! <laughs> okay, all the fans in all the corners of the world just dropped their coffees. <laughs> It is so nice to have you guys in here. Thank you so much for subbing in. Those other ones might not get back. Yeah, who wants to be in Europe, eh? No, no. Yeah, or the snow. Or what's Nicole doing? I think she's doing. Writing a book. She's writing a book. Writing a book. Yeah. This is more fun. (laughs) This is way more fun. We've, of course, got these amazing footballers in the studio with us today. So let's talk about some footy. Sabrina, you made your long awaited debut for the Tigers on the weekend. How did it feel? Oh, it was amazing. Obviously, training with the, the club over the last two months, it was just nice to, to get out there on the field. And we didn't come away with the win, but it was just nice to get out there. And, and it was a, it was strange, pulling on different colours. Very, very strange, but it felt good. I kicked a goal, which was good, <laughs> getting around the teammates. Um, and, yeah, it felt comfortable. felt like I was meant to be there. So, 
Yeah, pretty happy about it. Can I ask you about the finish to that game, Sabs? Because it was pretty controversial as far as I understand. Yeah. What I what I understand is that there was a it was a six point margin late in the game, and that the ball I think was in your your Ford fifty even. That then there was an injury with about forty seconds to play, and because there's no time on rule mm. in the VFLW, the clock just keeps running and and the game comes to an end, which is different mm. to the VFL men's competition. Do you think that needs to change that rule? Yeah, it was a bit frustrating just knowing that we were so close to goal and obviously I don't want to be one of those people that says if we had the time on rule, it could have been a different result, but we were that close to goal that anything could have happened and we're only six points away. So I think it's something that we definitely need to look into because in the dying moments of a game, we've all seen it, it can change the outcome even in a grand final. So it's something that we need to probably change. Well, I also saw in another game that there was an injury and, and eight minutes was was lost in a quarter, which is a just lot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, lot. Uh, a huge problem. So that seems to me something that should hopefully be pretty easy to fix. I don't know why. Why it hasn't already. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been a part of a game before where someone's gone down and they've called halftime early because of it. Obviously, if you're the team that's up, you're not really yeah. bothered about it. But if yeah. you're the team that's down, it's it's a lot of time that could change the results. So we it's something see, we have to look into. We've seen that as well over AFLW in Greater Western Sydney when a thunderstorm has yeah. shut down the game and things like that. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Melissa Hickey, you haven't made it onto the field quite as yet in the last couple of weeks for Geelong. What are you doing on game day? <laughs> She's watching Netflix. <laughs> um, I get to sit on the bench with the girls, so I kind of get to... Um, um, I guess have a little bit of leadership there and encourage or give feedback um, as girls are coming on and off, which is interesting. But yeah, I'm in a little bit of a rehab grind at the moment, which is um, not a lot of fun. I think it's interesting when I reflect back on obviously my ACL rehab all last year, I actually feel like that was easier because, you know, I knew it was t- going to be, you know, a long time and you have a lot of support and everyone knows that you're going through that. So I think this has been so up and down with kind of trying to get my body right that it's probably been harder than um, even that. And yeah, so I'm kind of doing a, a bit of a mini pre-season at the moment to hopefully play a couple of games towards the end of the VFL season, but um, I just miss playing footy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I miss being out there with my teammates and um, even with the stage I'm at my rehab, I'm not really even training with the group. So yeah, it can be pretty isolating, but I had to reflect um, even just with Nina Morrison sent me a message last night after training, just kind of knowing that I'm grinding a little bit and she offered her support and just sort of said, I've you told me you've got my back and I've got yours. So it's been pretty special to be able to spend a bit more time with her because I've been stuck in rehab. So I'm always looking for the positives in a situation. So that's probably been one of the big ones. That's pretty mature yeah. from a from yeah. a really young player on your list. Oh, she's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, Debbie Taylor down there as well is, is a similar one that it's not just about them. They can observe. You can already sort of see those leadership qualities in them. You have been um, taking the internet by storm with a little juggling trick that you've been doing. <laughs> um, if anyone hasn't seen it, you should definitely check out Mel's socials. It's like a, you're juggling with footies. It's yeah. something you've been working on. You're very proud of it. You've yeah. So Nina, again, records. this is what Nina and I have been doing since we've both been stuck in rehab. And, and she had a virus last week and we said, oh, we're going to go viral more than your <laughs> the spots on your body. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think we've, there was a West Coast video on, on Twitter where the male players were doing it, a whole group of them, and they were kind of bouncing off the ground and then up to themselves. And I've done a juggle before just with three balls where it goes around and around. And we're like, let's level up here. Let's let's um, try some of those things. So, yeah, we've been doing the one where you handball to yourself and go back to your partner. And, yeah, it's been fun. 
post um, footy career in the circus? Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm waiting for Cirque du Soleil to reach out. <laughs> Can I ask you, I just am really interested to, to know, given that you're sitting on the sidelines, what your take is of how the VFLW competition is developing? All right, so just a completely different landscape. I think the goals, you know, if I think of back when I used to play for Darabin, you know, we were obviously trying to win grand finals and everyone was just trying to get better as, as teams, whereas now it's such a development league. I, I see it as being that. So there's girls that are trying to get their, put their hand up to be drafted and um, then there's, you know, the younger players on our list where we're just trying to get lots of experience and games into them and, and then the kind of older players are being managed in and out. So, you know, from week to week, you, your team can be completely different and, you know, you could play the Tigers one week and then in a month's time that the team's completely different. So is it naive to say that, I mean, we talk about AFLW and how some people would say that you don't want to extend the season because it will eat into the VFLW competition. Mm. But is it naive to think that the VFL competition's not already being massively impacted by AFLW, Sabs? Yeah, it is a little bit naive. Like like Mel said, each week is it's different, obviously, with management of players. And, and at the moment, we're, we're actually going into a game against Melbourne Uni this weekend and it's hard to um, prepare for a team that you actually don't know how they're going to line up. <clears throat> so it is a little bit naive because obviously the talent's in and out. And it's probably a little bit similar to what the men's leagues are going through at the moment where obviously the draft is mid-year and they're going through the same thing where they're losing top end players and it's affecting teams and it almost becomes like the VFL grand final isn't sort of the goal anymore. It's more the VFL is obviously there to get ready for AFLW, Mm. if that makes sense. I sort of miss the you're playing the whole year of community footy to then win a grand final. I do want to talk about the men's games because there's been some amazing results over the weekend. Just quickly have been keeping an eye on that under-18s championships that's going on at the moment mm. in Queensland. There was some amazing footage coming out. Sarah Black was tweeting some amazing passages of play that I, I, we haven't seen before, I don't think, the kind of skills that we're seeing. You guys been watching? Yeah, I've watched a little bit, um, obviously looking closely because we want to take some of those players <laughs> onto our list. It's it's nice knowing that those girls have an opportunity and, and they're striving for that. They know that what's right in front of them. So they're obviously giving it 110%, but it's, it's incredible to see how the game's grown. And I can remember when I was in their position, like, it just wouldn't flow like that. The game wouldn't flow like that. So it's, it's pretty impressive to see what AFLW has done to those to those girls' pathway, really. You are both embedded into two pretty impressive AFLM clubs. The Tigers had a massive, massive scoreboard win on the yeah. weekend. Tess is dancing in the um, <laughs> producer's studio there. Um, they've made their way from, I think they're 11th or 12th, they're back well yeah. into the eight. They're up and about. Those Do we take a Gold Coast win of that magnitude as any kind of litmus test or is that just an outlier? I think for them at the moment, it's, they've been struggling and battling with, with injuries. And um, I know it sounds cliche, but at the moment, they honestly are just taking it week by week. The feel in the group at the moment, it's good. Even when they weren't winning games or they had injuries, it, it never felt like it was a funeral at the club. It felt they understand it's just part of footy and they, they'll get their chance. And I think they got their chance on the weekend and, and they did well. So I think this morning I was actually in the club and they all felt really good and they're up and about and really friendly and getting ready for the weekend ahead. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how they come out on the end of this season, but they're mainly home games. So hopefully... Um, yeah, Nick Seven are at the MCG or something yeah. ridiculous, right? <laughs> Hawthorne doesn't have another home game in Victoria yeah. until next year. Yeah, so we'll see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Someone just said Crimea River. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, your cats stumbled though. They've been looking really good until the weekend. 
Yeah, I think if you had it looked at like, it was a danger game for them to be at Marvel Stadium with the quick bulldogs. Uh, and then they're obviously in that luxury where they're at the top of the ladder. I think they're game clear now. Yeah. Yeah. This is that that tough period of the season where the gloss of the start of the season's worn off and we're in the middle of winter and um, you obviously just want to try and bank as many as you can and we're in that position where we can, yeah, maybe lose a few. What's the vibe around the club like? You're, you're, you work there. What's the feeling like? Yeah, I haven't been in there this week as of yet, but um, it's so funny. Um, I was actually going to ask Sabs this, but do you have to check yourself as a, you know, if Dusty's walking past? Like when Gary walks past, I have to, <laughs> the fangirl within me has to just yeah. chill out and yeah, seek Dangerfield just having lunch in the. Oh, wants to see whether you. Yeah. Do you feel like that now? Totally. I feel a bit like that now. <laughs> I think um, it's, it's a different vibe at our club because it's so. The footy department's so meshed in with the admin department. I feel like they're. I don't know. It doesn't feel like they're different. Like this morning, actually, Dusty made my my milk for my coffee this morning in the in the cafe. That's just what they're like. I think um, it helps that everyone's sort of in the same space. I don't really feel like they're above anyone else. I think this it's is quite interesting nice. Interesting because you have quite a little footprint of space at your offices. Yeah, but you at the Cats, you have this epic, amazingly <laughs> enormous space. So I wonder where that yeah, actual physical architecture and, yeah. and infrastructure changes the relationships. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we share the same area where we make food and, and coffee, and that's little chats here and there. And I think sharing that space, yeah, it's smaller, but they almost have to talk to each other because we're right there. So, And it's nice. It's a luxury, I think, um, and a blessing that we, you know, are, we're really involved with them and they're really involved in what we're doing as well as a club. So I think it's it's really good. All right, let's roll off our sleeves, ladies, and get our melee on. Um, <laughs> there was a huge story this week. Ash Barty played. She's obviously bad out of Wimbledon and she's amazing and so we can't wait to see her playing again. But when she played last week and her game was at the – it started just as, as the Curious game was into its fifth set, I think, and there was an issue with broadcast because they'd started with the Kyrgios, I think it's Thompson match, which was two Australians up against each other, and they didn't play the Barty game that I think was on a secondary channel. If you had that secondary channel, it became what was a huge furor about yeah. broadcast versus gender. Kato Halloran, who's an amazing sports journalist and who really does a great job at pushing the barrow for women's sport, she really copped it on Twitter. We decided not to weigh in necessarily, apart from giving her our support, because we wanted to discuss it here. I actually had a huge fight with my husband about this because I'm a staunch feminist and I believe that unless you make noise about women getting as much broadcast airtime, um, that it'll never happen. Unless we're really making noise and demanding it, it'll never happen. But he was saying that the rules of broadcast are that if a game has already started and it's a compelling game, that the broadcaster would very, very rarely, probably never, um, leave that game to show another game that was potentially going to be a walkover or, you know, fairly a fairly standard and easy win for the Australian. We had this huge argument because my feeling was that there's like less than 1% of people would know what the broadcast rules are, the rules made up by broadcasters. Um, But the conversation was fairly dense and it did also evoke concepts that we heard Megan Rapinoe Mm -hmm. talking about that FIFA had actually also scheduled two other games. Is that right, Kate? Yeah, on the same day at the same time as the Women's World Cup 
final, which is just extraordinary. And Rapino was pretty outspoken about that. She said, if this is supposed to be the, the marquee event, which it should be, it's the World Cup final, it should be uninterrupted airtime. And I, I couldn't agree um, more with her on that front. I mean, this is a challenge that you've both faced too during the, the women's competition where there's often a struggle to get free time, free air, especially with the men's pre-season competition, AFLX, that kind of thing. Do you have a view on on how to juggle these competing demands? Because there's sport, there's sport 24 hours a day, pretty much seven days a week, 365 days a year these days. But what's your view on the optimum situation for women's footy? It is frustrating, especially the one with the um, World Cup. I watched that, that match and... Um it's pretty disappointing, especially because these these girls are out there and they're just incredible athletes, incredible athletes, and they, they deserve their own slot. My frustration is it wouldn't happen the other way around, and that's where the conversation needs to be. It's not about the airtime and, and better viewings or whatever, but it, it's more about if, if the roles were reversed, would it happen? And the answer is no, it wouldn't. In AFL especially, I think with the JLT and AFLX in our space, I suppose, it does make it difficult because obviously at the moment we're juggling with the fact that we're trying to grow our viewers, but at the same time we're competing with the, with mm. our own sport. Mm. And it does it does really make it difficult. And do you feel it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you don't have broadcast, then you don't get sponsorship, you don't get money, you don't get more fans, then you don't get a hunger for more broadcast. You know, you actually need, the broadcasters do have a responsibility to lead, do you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think more so in our game because we're not, we're not ticketing at the moment as well. So it's hard to, the only real statistic that we're getting is, is broadcast um, for our viewers and our audience. So, you know, if they want to invest in, in, in women's sport in general, it starts with the broadcast, I think, and the rest of it flows on. Yeah, I think it's just it's making it a priority, right? Like we know that it has to grow and we're trying to do that and, and maybe that's going to take a few years, but it's it's putting that statement out there saying, well, we value it this much, we want it to grow, so we're going to put it ahead of our JLT, you know, for a period of time because it, it means a lot to us and, and we want, you know, the wider public to, to feel that as well. What's interesting is that in broadcast we often haven't had female voices. I wrote an article this week and it cited the fact that there's only, only 12% of sports broadcasters in this country are women. So if you don't have women talking about it and bringing their kind of lens to it. And I know a lot of men are also embedded and love women's sport and will also push that barrier, not heaps of them, that Twitter is one place where you actually can take the temperature on these kinds of topics. And I did some research and the last time Australia had a number one, like a number number one ranked tennis person. What's the word? Player. Player, thank you. <laughs> a player, that's what it's mm. called. Um, it was 2003. Twitter didn't really um, make it till 2006. So we haven't had this conversation on Twitter before. So I thought that was a really interesting part because for me, Twitter and the social media revolution is really like the industrial revolution. And all of a sudden it has given women the opportunity to say their bit. And I think that that also ruffles a lot of feathers. Yeah, it does. I mean, but it also, I mean, I know there's a lot of criticism that people have of Twitter. I know it can be a bit of a cesspit sometimes, but it can also be an opportunity to learn and listen and and grow and have productive conversations. I had an interesting conversation with a guy about the Ashbardi situation and his initial position, which I think would be the position of many people, is that if Ashbardi's game or the Women's World Cup or women's footy is on pay TV, then people should just switch to pay TV. And the point I made to him was that not everybody can afford pay TV. Um, Even if it's $5 a week, if you're on 
Centrelink or a retiree or living below if the you're poverty an line, that's not. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a lot of money for a lot of people. And it should, in my view, it shouldn't be that you have to turn to pay TV or reach into your pocket to access sports which are emerging and which have a widespread social benefit as well as a, a huge economic power um, into the future to be able to see those sports. So I think you can have those productive conversations on on Twitter, not always, but um, but for <laughs> me, you know, you mentioned Kate O'Halloran, M. you know, for me, it's just beyond disappointing to see female journalists like her cop some of the kinds of, of abuse that they cop. It's often violent threats of violence, etc., and just totally inappropriate. And, and for me, that's where the responsibility needs to come back onto the platform to, to regulate and moderate content a lot better. And, and interestingly, just as a side note, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a really landmark court case where it was found that Facebook was deemed to be the publisher of content and had an obligation to moderate and also delete comments on posts that were abusive or violent, vilifying content, which is interesting because it's a conversation we had right throughout the women's competition, uh, especially in light of the Taylor Harris photograph and incident, um, we were talking a lot about the fact that we thought those platforms should moderate and remove content. And now we've seen this legal decision saying that that should be happening. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out in women's sport moving forward. I hope it has an impact. During the week, my friend Melissa Hickey sent me a, sent me a link to a podcast, which it talked about the origins of gender inequality, among other things. The podcast was called, surprisingly, this topic is quite out there for talking about gender inequality, but you'll soon see why it's called Sex and Lust and Infidelity. Um, with sexual anthropologist Wednesday Martin. She was amazing. Can you tell us, Mel, about in this podcast, what it was that really blew your mind? Yeah, I've since shared this with my sisters or my close friends, so <laughs> you're um, in good company there. <laughs> I don't know. I just I found so many of the concepts, and I've listened to it maybe three or four times now because there's so many different themes through there, but I've always been taught and... Um, I think the wider public believe about sexuality and female desire and even the origins, you know, they speak about the plough and, and how that fundamentally <laughs> changed. Yeah, Terry we, Wallace? We are. Terry, <laughs> Terry Wallace is the, the yes. cause of gender inequality. I think that was the theme of the pod. Well, they don't talk about Terry Wallace specifically, but this is what she said about the plough. Of all the weird things, a plough is the thing that set gender relations on the current sort of messed up course that they're on now. Hmm. 10 or 12,000 years ago, we went from being hunter-gatherers and women supplied sometimes as much as 85 or 90% of the calories through gathering. That gave them a lot of power really? and a lot of autonomy. They could make their own decisions in many regards. 10 to 12,000 years ago, there's this shift. Humans start to domesticate plants they get pretty good at it. We invent the plow. Now what happens? Men suddenly have an advantage. You know what? One of the few advantages that is consistent across all cultures that men have over women is upper body strength. strength. Yeah, yeah. The plow privileges upper body strength. Mm-hmm. If you have upper body strength, you are out there. And now instead of the nuts and the berries and the seeds being the main event, you are like the primary producer. Yeah, I think, you know, before the plough came along, you know, the split of who was collecting food, like the hunter-gatherer, was fairly even. You know, there was autonomy and so many things in terms of, um, you know, how many children they had, like they were roaming, so they were far less likely to have as many kids and, and kind of be not 
bowed down by that, but, you know. It totally tied, 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 tied down. down. <laughs> I, I say this as I look through the glass into the producer's <laughs> studio where my three children are sitting in there reading magazines Hi, and, girls. <laughs> and driving Tess Armstrong crazy. Hashtag school holidays. So, yeah, obviously that was a, a point in time in history and many researchers believe that that was kind of the turning point of where, you know, women became possessions and um, basically the end of the world began then. <laughs> it was interesting as well, though, because there was a bit of um, a cookie left in this podcast when she talks about what some of the benefits of having strong female leaders might be, and I'll let you hear that now. You know, I always say to people, how did the midterm elections affect women's sex lives in the United States? And the answer is, if we get to the point where we have really powerful female political leaders more Nancy Pelosi's, however you feel about Nancy Pelosi. Personally, I love her. If we have a female president, we will see women's sexual fates changing really? as well. What do you think? I think that when, when we see lots of female CEOs, uh, when we see lots of female powerful politicians, when we see women running countries, those are contexts where them having those positions of powers is sort of a symptom of gender equality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And the other manifestation of gender equality is usually having autonomy to make sure. your own choices. So I think better sex is a good reason to vote for your <laughs> best female candidate today. On both parts. We need to get Julia back. I found that really interesting and I think, um, you know, I've never really thought about sexuality and the way that it intersects with gender equality or inequality or um, the way that, that podcast really did blow, blew my mind and the thing that I really liked about it, it was really inclusive. It wasn't just for people who are in heterosexual relationships. It was She was really broad with the way that she talked about sex and gender and um, I think everyone should take a listen to it because I just found it really fascinating. It led me to this other query that I've had and now that I've got you in this room, you know I love to do a period watch. <laughs> um, and I have long wondered this, that if you're in a same-sex relationship, do you get the same offering from your GP about contraception because I'm obviously in a heterosexual relationship and I have a marina, which means that I don't get my period. And I've always thought if only for my age and a lack of talent, I'd be able to play football every day of the week and have no adverse side effects of my monthly period. But I know that that can be an issue for some women who are playing the game. And with so many um, same-sex attracted players in the AFLW or VFLW competition, would they have access as much to contraception and the conversation around contraception that can be the the other byproducts of that kind of medication can be? Yeah, I mean, I can probably speak on it more than anyone else. I'm I'm in a same-sex relationship and I think if your GP sort of knows that you are in a same-sex relationship, I think that they're less likely to offer those things because they think that that's sort of not needed, if that makes sense. But I think people are mistaken that that contraception isn't, it's not always for that reason. I had the marina as well um, for a little bit of time and that helped a lot, Um, especially playing sport. Like you said, I think it's just one of those things that helps out and makes you feel a bit more comfortable. But I think people should have the option be able to talk to their GP about what's best for them in general, because it's it's not about protecting yourself from sex anymore. I think the conversation is a lot broader than that. Do you talk about periods in the club? Like, do you, is, it an, is it a welfare issue? Is it something that gets discussed, you know? Well, my poor coach, he's a male and um, <laughs> he wasn't aware that, you know, when lots of females are together for a long period, you can sync up. 
mm. your periods and that generally the week before I know I get quite emotional and then that can be maybe a consistent thing throughout the team. And so he, yeah, he was genuinely interested in to be educated on that particular phenomena. Mel, I'm wondering whether in the era of AFLW, managing the periods of players becomes another thing that needs to be managed like your diet and mm. your rehab and your recovery and everything else. And if so, if that's a part of the conversation that you're having with coaching staff, training staff. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's something that's done across, you know, like um, other sports, soccer and, and netball and basketball and things like that, but it's it hasn't been something that's um, been discussed. I, I thought that you actually are stronger when you've got your period. That was uh, maybe a, yeah, maybe I like a, the a myth that I've heard, <laughs> that you physically are stronger when you have it. I mean, when I was at the Lions, I think they were, they were pretty across it. I think um, we learnt pretty heavily from the first year. There was actually a game that we played in Adelaide and I think our team was quite affected. Mm-hmm. Um, we came away with a win, but before in the change rooms, I've never felt like that before. I think it was quite emotional or we felt like we weren't, I can probably say this now, but we didn't feel like we were quite as connected. Everyone was sort of in their own mood, I suppose. Um, and I think that's when the coach kind of was like, what's what's going on? And it wasn't till a couple of weeks later that someone mentioned that they were, and it was like, oh, I was too. And it became more of a conversation. And since then we made it a, pa- a part of our check-ins like our wellness check-in so we would tell people we would tell them if we were if we were on our period because they could manage it a lot better and I think that's probably something they need to apply in a few a few clubs but yeah would it be weird if you had an out and you're like out with a calf injury out with endometriosis (laughs) (laughs) I'd be happy with that I'm quite serious because like general soreness Yeah, Yeah, general all over soreness, all over soreness, all over sadness. I'd be happy with it, actually, because I think that it's important to erase some of the sort of taboo and stigma around menstruation that these conversations are are happening. And so I must say, I really appreciate you both being prepared to, to talk about it. I do have one question I want to ask, which is, perhaps a bit too much information, but honestly, I wonder this every time I watch the footy and we've talked about it amongst ourselves. When it's those weeks when you have to wear the white shorts, mm. if it is a week when you're menstruating, I imagine that for some of some of the players, that would be a real concern about the possibility of an, an incident. Is that something that also gets talked about in clubs and can be managed in some way? I don't think it's talked about. I think it's more of a worry when you're younger. You're going mm, through that right. young stage where you worry about everyone's thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And I think um, I actually spoke to someone last week about about this, how the white shorts needs to become not an option, but I feel like it needs to be talked about. Is there a way that we can have an away short that's not yeah. as... You know. I've definitely had someone ask me if I can be on watch for them for the day because they've been that anxious about yeah. it. Yeah. I imagine that is not unlike the time that Andre Agassi had that fake hair stapled to his head when he was playing tennis. Yep. You know, and mm. do you remember that bit? Like in, in his book, it's amazing. Um, he talks about he was so nervous about going bald that he had kind of attached hair to his headband and had it all and he just spent the entire game just completely paranoid about his hair dropping off. That's probably yeah, you're on I centre stage mm. and you just should be concentrating mm. just on your game but you're thinking about the white shorts, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally just invested in period underwear um, yeah, right. just recently and I wear them for games and training. So, And that's something for me that I just don't have to worry about now. But it's, yeah, I think it's something that we don't – I've not even thought about it until until now really. It's not really part of the conversation I would say. Well, it is here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a it's a safe space. <laughs> Okay, you saw an article this week that kind of shocked you, yeah? I did, and I wanted to 
ask you both for your your reflections on this. So it was a tweet that I saw from Ross Tucker, who's a well-known sports scientist, and he shared an article written by Rick Broadbent, which was telling the story of Coco Goff. Coco Goff, you might have seen, was the uh, 15-year-old player who was just a sensation in the first few rounds of Wimbledon. She's been knocked out now, but she's definitely a player to watch in the future. And in this article by Rick Broadbent, he spoke about famous French coach Patrick Muratoglu, who had coached Coco Goff and asked him for his reflections on what she was like and, and in particular whether he what he identified in, in her as a young talent. Muratoglu spoke about his process for identifying talented players as a young at a young age. He runs players through a series of tests, mainly physical tests, and then he subjects them to a kind of psych examination. And the article says that that's the test that, quote, really mattered. And Moritoglu speaks about sitting Coco Goff down and asking her a series of questions that he admitted sometimes uh, leaves tennis prodigies in tears. He said, and this is Moritoglu, I push them hard and sometimes they cry. I don't want to make them cry, but I have to see what's behind the words and I don't want to make a mistake. And he goes on to say that Coco Goff turned out to be very strong and you know had a kind of intestinal fortitude as a young girl that he was really impressed by. Ross Tucker was really critical of this approach and said, you know, what are we doing when we have 10-year-old girls that we're subjecting to this kind of psych testing and pushing them to the point of breaking to see whether or not they're going to be up for professional sport? You know, you've both grown up in an era where footy was not a professional sport for women originally. I imagine that this kind of stuff is something that you've not been subjected to. But I wonder if it's coming into the to the sport. And if so, if you have a view about pushing and testing young girls in in this way and whether you think it's appropriate. AFLW has only just been, you know, emerged in the last three years. So I think in our pathway, it wasn't really something that we were pushing ourselves to do. I, I don't know if I would have loved the sport if that was mm. what I had, the hurdles I had to jump through um, to play AFL. I'd, I'd be, oh, it sounds terrifying, to be honest. Yeah, I'm working down at the Cats with their Next Generation Academy. So we've got our under 14 girls in at the moment and our 16 girls are coming in in August. It's an acute focus of the coaching staff that it still is fun, that we're aware that it's a, a talent pathway. But, you know, these kids are, you know, they're still kids. So, yep. you know, there still has to be a, a fun part of it. And I'm a bit of obsessed with growth mindset and things like that. And those sort of skills can be developed over time. You don't necessarily have to have just been born with that, I think, if you, if you come at it from that angle. Resilience and... Mental fortitude can be can be um, yeah grown. Have you both always played team sports only, or have you ever played individual sports? I used to do a bit of swimming, but I think it was because of that similar reason. I think that it's you and your coach, and you feel like you just pushed, pushed, and pushed to better yourself continuously. Every time you get in the pool, you're you're trying to beat that time, and you it's blood, sweat, and tears. And I think that's probably why I didn't really enjoy it. Mm. Um, I think it's similar to some of the friends that I've had that have have done ballet, tennis, all those sort of sports that are quite disciplined, where you I suppose in quotations you have to push yourself that extra mile and. I don't know, but that doesn't appeal to me because in the end of the day, I, I personally think you need to enjoy what you're doing to stay with it. And I don't think I would have wanted to push myself that hard to, to stay in AFL. It just also seems to me to be a really outdated and perhaps very kind of masculine in inverted commas mindset to me that the display of emotional vulnerability from from anyone is, is a problem. This is just an opportunity now for me to mention my favourite person in tennis, which of course is Andy Murray, who has just been putting out some great content recently. Um, We will tweet out a video of him Mm. making fun of himself. He's a notorious crier. 
um, which I just love about him. Same. But look at him and Federer and, and other players who are really emotional, wear their hearts on the sleeve and have been the best players in, in the men's competition. So to me, it just seems like a really outdated way of thinking about yeah, things. It really does. So as Emma mentioned at the top of the show, it was a really special event in Perth over the weekend with the unveiling of the Nikki Winmar statue. I want to give a very big shout out and thanks to Dr. Sean Gorman, who's a friend of the podcast and was at the event. He wrote the speech for Nikki and he recorded some audio for us from the event, which we're going to share with you now. So this is a significant place for us young our people in the Wajak section here by the river, the Bilya, Buja. We say, don't worry about the rain, the ancestors are happy and crying with us here today on this wonderful occasion. Hello everyone, and can I begin by saying Kaya Wanju. Seems appropriate that today of all days, I acknowledge you in Noongar language. It's important to do this as we gather on the lands of the Wajak and the Noongar Nation, Kaiwanju. Today marks an important day, not just in terms of football, but I think the country. Today we come to celebrate the actions of a Noongar man who changed the conversation in Australia. As a long-time St Kilda supporter, can I say to you, Neil, Elvis, Winmar, Nikki, thank you for your courage and thank you for connecting us. They gave me his speech. I've uh, lost it three times in three days and now I've got to wear his glasses. I said, can you get bigger words? I'll see how I go. The only thing I ever read was a phantom cartoon book. <laughs> there we go. The sun's out. Yeah, uh, hello, and just say uh, thanks to everybody for coming out today. It's a big day for me and my family, to be honest, I'm lost for words. It's hard to believe that a statue has been made that's going to be there for a very long time. Of a kid from a, uh, you know, they mentioned Calabrian, I was born there, but mum and dad moved to a place called Pingley where we lived, on the Pingley Reserve. Um, I know my mum and dad and grandparents are here with us all. Mum would be crying our eyes, our eyes out like she did when I played. I've never ever seen a woman go through so many boxes of tissues in a day. <laughs> I remember the day stepping out to Victoria Park with my brother, Gilbert McAdam. We spoke about what we needed to do and what we did. And sorry, we did it. He was the best on ground that day. Coming off the ground, I was tired. I had ran so hard, but I remember after working in the shearing sheds with my old man, would stop a car five miles outside of Pinsley. I'd say, Dad, did we run out of petrol again? He said, no, get out and run home. <laughs> so I know I was fit and I was focused. On that day, I, uh, it was the first time ever beaten Collingwood at Victoria Park in 14 years. I was concerned about my welfare, welfare. the abuse was intense. I felt you know, personal to my life, it was really disgusting. It was an attack on my family and me. They attacked um, who I was something I, could not ch I couldn't change. But some good things come out of it. I didn't know Wayne Lubby at the time had circled back with, and was taking photos. Then the next day the picture was in the paper. I said, oh, what have I started here? Uh, you know, it was in the paper again and again. And I thought that people would get sick of it, but uh, you know, 
There are people out there just stop me on the street just to say hello and just talk about that day. There, I, I did play 250 other games, you know. Like, <laughs> anyway, um, I was you know, rated, you know, abused, and I told the uh, the crowd at the time that I, you know I'm black and I'm proud, and uh, you know it was for me and my family as a Noongar boy. You know, I'll, I'll never forget yous. you. You've always uh, supported me in, in my journey. You know, every time I came back here, I would see you and say hello. The picture means a lot to me, but it means a lot to uh, you know other people as well. So you know, I could be in Alice Springs or Uluru or Kununurra or Tassie or anywhere, and I get stopped and people want to talk about that day. It hurt me. It always has. I don't. I don't understand it personally. Footy is for everyone, no matter where you come from, who you are. Men, women, children, black or white, rich or poor. This statue is for everyone. If you go to the footy or not, it's about educating people. It's about respect for yourself, for your neighbours, for your mates, for your children. Respect for the person you, you don't know on the street one day would say, oh, I went and saw that statue and uh, what a proud man he is. To Alex and Aaron, who started this off. I never had grey hair until I met you two. <laughs> um, to Wayne Ludby, a good friend, good mate. Thank you for that great photo on that day. To my Pinsley mob and the Noongars here today, thank you also. To all the St Kilda people that have travelled here today as well, and from Melbourne, you are too deadly. To my, uh, to my family, to my kids, to my uh, growing team of grandchildren, I love you all with all that I am. Have a great day, everybody, and enjoy the footy. And uh, please uh, look after Nikki. <laughs> I really want to say uh, from the heart, you know, to the government of West Australia, thank you very much, and please... Don't forget my people. Thank you. Wow, what a special occasion. Nikki Wimar's speech was so moving and, and beautiful. And to hear that there's been such rain over a long period in the lead up to that event and that the sun came out just as he was speaking and the statue was unveiled was, was magical. It was absolutely gorgeous. Sabs and Mel, I wanted to ask you, will we one day have a statue of a female Footballer or someone associated with women's footy, and if so, who should the first statue be? Oh, Apart wow. from present company, of course, there'll be a couple of Hickey and Frederick's statues. But <laughs> no, no. Who would you like to see immortalised in that way? Wow, that is such that, a tough question. Is. I probably have three names that come to mind straight away. Sure, we don't need just one. We can okay, have more yeah, than have one three. statue. Um, yeah. Debbie Lee, for sure. She was probably the original trailblazer and footy was very uncool and wasn't what women did when she first began. And, you know, she started up her own club and all the work she did with the VWFL and at Melbourne and, and now the Bulldogs. So I think she, without her, we definitely wouldn't be where we are today. I think Daisy Pearce, again, another trailblazer and I could speak for a hours about Daisy and her <laughs> achievements and, and her contributions. And then I guess if we look at our present day AFLW, it's it's probably Erin Phillips. Mm-hmm. Sabs, yeah. any I names you'd like to add to that list? I'd have to definitely agree with Debbie and, and Daisy there. Um, I think they've been instrumental and I think anyone that's been in the first few years at AFLW would probably say the exact same. They were absolute trailblazers. I'd probably have to, obviously, playing my footy in WA, um, Jan Cooper would have to be up there for me because she was the Debbie Lee for me um, and I definitely would not be here without her. So I'd probably have to chuck her name in there too. Fantastic. Well, we've got a suite of statues now. I'll get get to work on those. I can't wait for that. I actually (laughs) would be really happy with that. All right, let's go around the grounds. So my name's Fabian and uh, I play for the London Swans here in London. 
and my name's Maddie McComb and I play for the London Swanettes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. I know it's the early hours of the morning over there in London, so um, we really appreciate you staying up. Tell us a little bit about the London Swanettes. Who are they? So the London Swanettes are the women's team with the London Swans. We started in 2017. I've only been with the girls now for two years, but we are a fantastic team. It's an exceptional bunch of women um, and just a fantastic footy club. I remember back to the very first game that was played in February of 2017. It was um, out in Oxford and I think there were six women who ran onto the field wearing um, some of them were odd jumpers and black tights. And um, they all ran out there because they'd been invited by the coach who wanted to start to uh, create a women's team. Because obviously the, the boys have been around for maybe like 20, 26 years at that stage. Um, we have like a 30-year history with the with the London Swans. So, um, yeah, so the women's started in February in a really cold month. And they were, um, I think they won the game. But then from that point on, the team and the legend had grown from there. Who competes in these competitions you have over in the UK? Is it just expat Australians or do you have locals getting involved in learning Aussie rules as well? At the Swans and particularly in the women's team, we have a really strong contingent of uh, local girls and we really strongly encourage recruiting um, local girls. We've got some great girls that have come from rugby backgrounds um, in Britain. We've had a few Irish girls come through and this year we've also got a French player. So um, as much as the league here is definitely still dominated by Australian expats, um, there's definitely a massive growing interest in the local community. We have spoken to some women who came out from the United States previously and one of the things we hear from them is how difficult it is to find ovals to play on, to have uh, goalposts around. They, they told us how they manufactured them out of whatever they could find. How does it work over in the UK? Where do you play? Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> we play wherever we can. So uh, at the Swans, we train in Regent's Park. We just have a large area of, I guess, open field there that's within the park, but um, we don't have a ground to train on. We don't have goalposts to train with, um, so we just use cones. But um, in terms of game day, each club has, I guess, a home ground, but it's the same scenario. They're often rugby grounds or soccer grounds that are um, transformed for the day into AFL grounds. Do you ever have yep. people wandering by, Australians or people from other parts of the world, stopping and asking you, what's this sport that you're playing? All the time. And uh, <laughs> in the past, it's actually proven to be a great little recruitment tool. We had an American girl who was playing softball on a pitch nearby um, at the end of last season come over and say, what is this you guys look like you're having so much fun um, and she trained with us and started the season out this year with us as well um, but yes we get lots and lots of funny looks and uh, lots of people that just wander over and say what are you guys doing and yeah it's quite funny Fabian, tell us a little bit about your role because you've been following the the Swanettes for a little while. Yes, I've been following them from the beginning and also playing in the, the boys' side as well. Um, I have to say this grand final from last year was really the beginning of what began as being a, um, a social, um, social media drive to start to um, get some of those faces and stories of the girls out into the public arena. And I think it's really exciting to see girls pick up the sport for the first time and uh, the way that they 
bond on the field and the way that they're learning the sport, teaching and, and each other and creating that team atmosphere is uh, is really exciting. So we started a, a Swanets Instagram feed and a Twitter feed and those things just to start to kind of give the um, the girls a platform to speak and to um, to create their own um, identity and, and culture. And you've started making or you have plans to, to make a documentary, is that right? Yeah, the documentary began last year at um, Grand Final Day, and uh, then we continued it at the start of the year. So the first game was was a rematch from the Grand Final, but um, it's definitely a project that's um, in in progress, and um, I'm kind of excited to to see where it goes. Yeah, so tell us where you're up to, Maddie, and how you're going this season. Uh, it's been a really, really really exciting season um, and it's been a really really rewarding season whilst we come together to play for fun um, and definitely that's the team that keeps me going back there and the friendships that we have um, we're really lucky this year we've had an exceptional coaching squad come on board and our skills have just grown and grown and grown so far we're undefeated we've got one round left and I'm just busting with excitement to see what comes for the next few weeks. <laughs> Maddie, I'm really interested in knowing whether you played AFL before you moved to the UK or whether this is something that you got involved in once you moved over there for some reason. Yeah, Kate, I had never, ever, ever played it at all in Australia. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, and I only got into it because I had moved here and I had a friend who played for the Swans and she said to me, first of all, she she sold it to me again for the girls and she just said they're the best bunch of people. Um, and then she said, and then it's really fun and it doesn't matter if we win or, or lose or how we go on the day, we just have a good time. And then I just kind of really fell in love with the sport. I have played sport my whole life. I grew up playing sport and in a really active and sport-driven family, but AFL was just never on the radar for me, I think, like a lot of girls are around Australia. Is there something about being able to retain a connection with Australia and Australian sport through the AFL when you're overseas? Does it mean something oh, yes. different? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the, the camaraderie and having girls and a whole team around you that all know that, you know, sometimes you have days here where you're really homesick and you really miss your family and, you know, I've got my Swans family here, so it's great. One thing I really want to ask you both about is whether you've been connected to the AFLW over the first few seasons and if so, what impact seeing those women run out over here has had on all of you back over in the UK? Uh, I mean, I watched the AFLW as much as I could this year um, and we, the Swanets, had a um, like a little viewing party. Uh, we've got a local pub that kind of puts on the grand final for us if we ask and we asked them to put on the AFLW grand final this year, which was really great. So we all got together um, and watched the game. But it's fantastic to see women run out onto those arenas. Uh, you know, like I said, we're kicking a footy in a local park. So um, to see the women back at home doing it on the big stage is just incredible. Um, and then I also love hearing stories about players from the UK who are making it over there. You know, there's an Irish girl, is it Ailish Considine, who yeah. played for Adelaide this year? That's really exciting because we do really want to grow the sport here. And I really, really enjoy seeing um, the local girls in our team really take it on and fall in love with it like we do. What are some of the other leagues like around you in Europe and the UK? 
I keep in touch with quite a few different leagues on social media platforms. Like there, I, I caught wind that there was going to be a league that's going to open in Greece. But you know, the um, the German girls are really exciting, developing their skill sets. Obviously, the French were in the grand final for this year. Yeah, the French team. Um, so earlier this year, I actually was really lucky and got to play um, in the Anzac women's team, and uh, we played against France um, in the Anzac Cup. And the French team were really, really scary with how good they were considering that sport is so new there. (laughs) Amazing. It's taking over the world, right? And it's great to hear about the competition in the UK and to hear what you're all doing over there. Maddie, best of luck for the next few weeks and for the finals. Uh, Thanks so much, Kate. And um, Fabian, best of luck as well in putting the documentary together. If our listeners want to find out more about the documentary or help support it in any way or get involved, they can search for you on social media. But as I said, we'll keep an eye out to see how you go in the finals, Maddie, and we hope that you come away with the chocolates. So good luck. (laughs) Thank you so much for staying up, Super late in the UK to talk to us on the Outer Sanctum. It's been a real privilege. No, thank oh, you for having thank me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I love how footy is taking over the world. And I do truly believe that women's football will be the gateway to global domination <laughs> of the code that we love. Um, have we got any final business? This week, Cricket Australia announced that it was going to guarantee equal pay for the Women's T20 World Cup. And cricket's doing great things in the, in the space of equal pay, which is just amazing. I also wanted to acknowledge the first ever same-sex couple to play together at Wimbledon this week. That couple was Alison Van Utvank and Greet Minnan, and I just wanted to recognise both of them. That's a really historic moment in the history of women's tennis and tennis more broadly, so congratulations to them. Sabs, have you got anything for final business? Um, we have at the at Putton Road the Many Cultures game this weekend. Um, it's going to be a themed round that Richmond are committed to building in the next few years, and I'm a proud English and Caribbean woman, um, and I'm extremely proud to, to see the amount of cultures that we have on our list, men and women. So I'm excited to be a part of that this weekend. Uh, we will be having a March to the G, which I'm pretty excited for, basically just all our Tiger Army and we'll have new Australians. So people that have just become citizens, which is incredible, walking to the G. So I'm excited for that. That's awesome. And Mel, do you have any final business, anything you'd like us to know I about? love that this is a game for everyone now. It's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is. And I do need to just do a special thank you to you, Sabs, because um, up until my 44th year, I've not known the difference between a lion and a tiger. And because you've gone from the lions to the tigers, I now have a very clear visual in you my are mind. welcome. <laughs> and it is, it's a genetic um, disposition that I've passed on to my um, children because I think two of them also don't know the difference between a lion and a tiger. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us um, today on the podcast. We are so grateful that you came in to fill the void but also we truly believe in bringing people along with us on this journey we want to see you guys in the media as much as we can we need your voices out there so whatever we can do to give you exposure and experience we will always do that so we hope that you've enjoyed having these extra special voices in the studio with us today thanks for having us guys yeah thank you all right we um have one special thing to go out with today usually we go out with go footy but yeah there was a really special moment in the FIFA Women's World Cup final where the FIFA president and other dignitaries were out on the field and echoing throughout the stadium came this chant and we wanted to share it with you and get behind it. So there is only one more thing to say and that is... Equal pay! Equal pay! Equal pay! Equal pay! Equal pay! <laughs> equal pay.